0: All right, good morning, Bethesda. Thank you. It's a privilege to speak to you, and we are in for a treat, not because I'm here, but because the Lord is with us, and he is faithful to speak to us. And so, Lord, before we open up uh, this message and, and I share with everything that I've studied this week and last week and the week before that, um, we just open our hearts and open our minds and uh, just make room for you. Because uh, there's a good chance that as we dig through your word, there'll be a challenge there. There'll be a chance to realign, maybe get a little closer to Jesus and we don't wanna miss that chance. And so Lord, we just posture ourselves to receive from you because we're in for a treat because you are here with us. So I bless these people. It is a privilege to speak with them. In Jesus' name I pray it, amen. Alright, I hope y'all enjoyed your surprise winter blizzard as much as we did. Did y'all? Wonderful. Yeah, I want to show you some pictures because we had a good time at the Gary house. Uh, This first picture here is the kids on the trampoline and that is our sixth child, Daphne. Our fifth child has major anxiety issues, Ava. She's inside because trampolines and weather and birds and grass and air (coughs) will bother her. So that's us jumping on the trampoline. Uh, This next picture is Amber listening to records in the reading room. One of these days I'll talk about reading rooms in the, the benefit of reading rooms and how everybody should have one or at least some place where they had this little, this place that they can maybe read their Bible or you know just a kind of a place of sanctuary but that day is not today but Amber certainly enjoyed her time there in the reading room. Uh, next picture is me drinking my coffee. Now I don't typically drink my coffee in this fashion but my nephew Noah uh, lived in Houston and they did not get off of school on Thursday so I just wanted to be a blessing And I sent him a picture and I said, hey Noah, uh, we're thinking of you this morning as we're (laughs) drinking our coffee. And he appreciated that, I think he was blessed. All right, here's the next picture. This is me fixing my dryer, minus me. It's amazing how fuzzy dryers are when you have had them for like 13 years. Has anybody ever opened up a dryer? I'm talking like inches of, fu- of just fuzz. It's unbelievable. And my dryer didn't even care that I was preaching this weekend. <laughs> didn't even care that I had a wedding last night. Didn't even care that I wanted to enjoy snow. No, I was fixing a dryer. And when I was watching the YouTube video, this one lady said, and my husband did pretty good. It took him about six hours, but there was this one screw. I found that screw, <laughs> it was like, uh, that's the screw I remember, and got cuts on my hand and I, I found it this next picture I say to this next video is actually Bryn taming one of our sled hills near the house Isn't that fun did y'all do anything like that this is just the road that leads up to our house and we loved it oh sorry about that sorry <clears throat> There we go. And then the next video is actually me taming the other sled hill near our house. Look how fast I'm going. What you don't see is there's a rock right about there. <laughs> None of the kids seemed to hit it, but I did. And... Um, Yeah, we had a great time. Just pretending we live up in the north and it was lovely, I hope you all did too. Now that said, though we definitely had fun, we were not, as I alluded to earlier, very surprised by the blizzard. Were you? I mean, seriously? I mean, truth be told, we knew days in advance that the blizzard was coming. Probably a week in advance if you're tech savvy and, you know, are into weather and stuff. But we knew so far in advance. But I remember as a kid, that was not the case. Like, as a kid, I remember going to bed knowing that it might snow. And I would even, I was hoping that it would snow. And even just praying, Father, Abba, Father, God, creator of all things, good and holy. Jehovah Jireh, provide snow. And then I'd wake up and I never knew if it was going to snow or not. Like this, not, I mean, this time I knew, but no, it wasn't like that. I'd wake up, and I'd run to the window, and most of the time I'd realize that my book report, and my science test, was still due that day, <laughs> because we live in Texas, and it, there was no snow. But occasionally, even just ever so occasionally, we'd peek out that window, though, and like, just shocked we would just see this fresh blanket of white snow and all those were like the most glorious days as a kid it was so 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 awesome just the surprise of it all it was just so great but this week's snow and last year's week-long snowstorm was not like that because unlike my childhood I pretty much knew it was coming and uh, even down to the half hour I don't know how it was like in your house but I was watching my weather app and I was saying things like this. Kids, the, the rain is going to turn to sleet in like 30 minutes. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> and then later on, I was like, okay, kids, in 45 minutes, the sleet will turn to snow. Okay, guys, 35 minutes. All right, 15 minutes. All right, three minutes. Quick, come to the window. Come to the window. Let's look. It's going to be any, many, most Nostradamus. <laughs> and it turned snow, it was just amazing. So while it may not have been a surprising winter blizzard, like in the the sense of the word surprise, like wow, I didn't expect that, it was definitely still surprising, just in a different way. So I'm setting the stage here for my message. Earlier when I said that I hoped y'all enjoyed a surprising winter blizzard, I didn't mean surprise like you didn't know it was coming, like in that very moment. I meant surprise like I'm surprised. North Texas we live in, two straight Februaries, got some good snow. This is quite out of the ordinary. Kind of like this, this is a surprise. I like, that's the kind of surprise. So said differently, this winter storm that we just enjoyed wasn't so much like a, uh, boo! (laughs) It wasn't like that. It was more of a, got friends coming over. They usually don't come over this time of year, traveling from afar. I'm looking forward to them being here this time. Just, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is gonna be lovely. That's the kind of surprise. Not like Uncle Eddie showing up in your front yard at Christmas <laughs> in his winter cap and bathrobe. Not like that. Surprise. This week's storm was different. And uh, I was already working on a message around the word surprise. And I had to scrap the first three pages because we had a storm and it was, it was just it was lovely. So, as I hope I've already laid out clearly enough and I hope you guys probably already know it, surprises can come in all different shapes and all different sizes and this morning's message is titled, Surprising Jesus. Because he was and still is a surprising Jesus, amen? I remember when I was 12 years old, I found myself gripped with conviction and joy and hope and I was crying and, but happy and I, was, I found myself at an altar at a youth camp and uh, I was confessing my sins and in, inviting Jesus to be the Lord of my life and trust me, I did not show up to camp to do all that. I actually went to camp to have fun and to play basketball and to maybe make some friends and enjoy some cafeteria food. And yet, Jesus surprised me in a life-changing way. And I'm not saying I wasn't saved before then, but man, at 12, he surprised me, I remember. And by the way, if you haven't signed your kids up for camp, that's not an announcement, I'm just telling you, you never know when that surprise moment's coming. And you wanna put your kids, you wanna put yourselves in every possible opportunity so they can have an encounter with the Lord. And so today, camp is going to sell out. So, because I'm talking about it. So why don't you go ahead and get on your apps and uh, get in there before the other kids do, all right? We want your kid saved. I mean, we want all the kids (laughs) saved. (laughs) So many of you have stories similar to mine at 12 years old where the Lord just surprised you, and I'm sure you've also noticed many, many, many times in the Bible where the Lord was surprising folks. Sometimes they use the word surprise, sometimes they use the word marveled or amazed or astonished, but the result was always the same. The people could not ignore the surprise that Jesus uh, delivered. He's just just had a surprising surprising nature. So I wanna share with you some ways, some examples from the scriptures this morning of times when Jesus surprised folks. And first I wanna look at Jesus' teachings because they were surprising. In Mark chapter 12 when some of the evil, rotten religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus and get him in trouble with the Roman authorities, they asked him about paying taxes and ultimately they put him on the spot to look disloyal to the Roman government. But Jesus in turn asked them for a coin. Who's on the coin? They said Caesar. Jesus then said, "Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they, meaning the people, were amazed at his teaching. And then Luke gives his account of the very same encounter in Luke 20, 26, but he adds that the religious leaders who were trying to trap him were also amazed. And they became silent. Another time when Jesus was explaining who could and and, and couldn't inherit the kingdom of God in Mark 10 and again in Matthew 19, the disciples walked away astonished. Yet again, when he easily avoided being trapped by the Sadducees in Matthew 22, when asked about marriage at the resurrection, the crowd was once again astonished. You'll find accounts in each of the four Gospels of the people being surprised over and over and over again after hearing the teachings of Jesus, and this was what he said, but also how he said it. He spoke with such authority, he spoke with such wisdom, he, he had such content, and people continually walked away surprised, and the crowds, even his disciples, were constantly being caught off guard by the words of this surprising Jesus but it wasn't just his teachings that were surprising it was also his actions when he cast out the evil spirits the scriptures say the people were amazed when he healed a paralyzed man they marveled when he overturned the tables of the money collectors and cleared out the temple courts the crowds were again amazed both times probably both times probably happened twice if it didn't I think it did, if it didn't, I'll still get in heaven, but I think it happened twice. When he appeared to his frightened followers after his resurrection, they thought he was a ghost and they were filled with both joy and amazement, the scripture said. They even had him, he even ate some fish to prove that he he was flesh, he totally surprised them. Jesus was always surprising people because Jesus was Jesus. And he's a surprising Jesus. He was surprising in his teachings. He was surprising in his actions. He was even surprising in his inactions. In Mark 15, 5, and again, from Matthew's perspective, in Matthew 27, Jesus was before Governor Pilate being accused by the chief priests and the elders. You remember? The very ones that were supposed to have welcomed him and engaged with him and put their trust and their hope and their, found their salvation in him, they instead... Did not, and here's what the Bible says. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, "Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the amazement of the governor. I'm reading a book right now, it's about introverts and extroverts, and it's, I think it's called, Quiet, how to be an introvert in a world that won't stop talking. And here is a moment here, where Jesus is totally quiet, to the amazement of everybody watching, including the governor. You know, it takes great control to remain silent sometimes. I know, by the way, not every situation is served best by a response. Just as other situations demand a response, and, and in those times, anything less is negligent, if not even sinful. But nonetheless, there are situations where the right answer is no answer. And I suppose since there's a time for everything, we, like little children with a new watch, need our dad to teach us how to correctly tell the time. To the best of my knowledge, the most common reaction to the teachings, to the actions, to the inactions, to the responses of all sorts of Jesus was that of surprise. One writer said that he counted 32 such moments as he looked through the scriptures. I didn't bother to do the math and count it and check it, but 32 is a lot. My aim today, this morning, instead, is to just stress the fact that we serve a surprising Jesus, and that said, did you know? I'm sure you did, but the Bible says that there was a time that Jesus himself was surprised, by a person, no less, and if that's true, that would bring a whole different meaning to this sermon title, Surprising Jesus. We've been talking about a surprising Jesus, like he's the one doing the surprising, but now we're gonna shift, and we're gonna look at surprising Jesus, like he's the one that's gonna be surprised. The story can be found in Luke chapter seven, verses one through 10, but before we read it, I just wanna ask you an honest, simple question. Have you ever stopped to consider if Jesus could be surprised? you have. I mean, he's God, though. (laughs) And God knows everything. He's omniscient, kind of all-knowing. That's kind of what that means. So could Jesus be surprised? How could that even be possible? I wonder if his friends ever snuck up on him and said, boo. (laughs) Did anyone ever dare to ask him to play hide-and-seek? If so, he'd probably just count to 20 and then tell everybody exactly where they were hiding. (laughs) Judas, behind the olive tree. Methuselah, (laughs) up in the tree again. Martha, in the wine press. Abijah, I see you behind that camel. And by the way, you're gonna be doing something really disappointing to me one day, but I'll forgive you. Ready or not, here I come. I'm just saying, Jesus is God, which means he was there before there was even there. How could he be surprised by something that happens here when he made here while he was still over there? Long before there was even there and we were ever here. Since Jesus is God, how could he be surprised? Isn't God above being surprised? Isn't he really big and godlike and incapable of surprise? Yes, he's big. Yes, he's godlike, but I think he was capable of surprise. People often ask, where in the universe is God? But a better question might be, where in God is the universe? Dr. Marty marvelously referenced Isaiah 40 a couple of weeks ago when talking about the capacity and the nature of our God. And she reminded us that the universe is measured by the span of God's hand, pinky to thumb. And if you didn't hear her four messages packed into one, <laughs> you should go back and listen. It was, it was all about the Lord's Prayer. My favorite part was the part on David and I think it was Psalm 51, just wonderful, so, so rich. You should go back and listen. She read from Isaiah 40, verse 12, which reminds us of the grand nature of God, yet even then, it's just an illustration. I mean, it's just there to help us get our minds wrapped around the enormity of our God. I mean, we know that God doesn't even have physical form. Uh, He doesn't have hands. He doesn't carry a basket, Uh, but it helps us to understand. Isaiah 40 verse 12 says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance. God has, God does, and Jesus is God. And yet, I'll say it again, did you know that the Bible says that there was a time that Jesus was surprised by a person? A surprising Jesus was also a surprised Jesus. So I personally think that it is very possible for Jesus to be surprised because I recall that Jesus was and still is fully God and fully man. And that doesn't subtract from his glory, it only adds to it. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. When Jesus became a man, he became like us. Am I boring you? <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> I was thinking if I got to page six and they weren't just all asleep, <laughs> we would be good. <laughs> when Jesus became man, he became like us. We are made in God's image. So we are a kind of like God But when Jesus became flesh, he became all the way like us, though he never sinned. But this allowed him to relate to us, to understand us. He knows what it means to struggle. He knows what it means to thirst. He knows what it means to hunger. He knows what it means to mourn. He knows what it means to be sad, to weep, to laugh, to come against evil to have a friend. Our Jesus is both God and man, and as such, while on this earth, he struck this perfect balance between the two. Therefore, even though God is all-knowing, we know through the scriptures that Jesus learned and didn't just exit the womb speaking in complete sentences and parsing the Greek. Remember, he grew in both wisdom and stature. We know that even though God is all-powerful, he was born as weak as any other baby, in need of his mother and vulnerable to an enemy that was out to destroy him. And so as it relates to this message, I totally agree. I totally believe that it was possible to surprise Jesus even though his God nature is all knowing, his man nature was susceptible to being surprised. And that surprise could be both pleasant or unpleasant. When I was about 13 years old, I went to Wet n Wild it's now called Hurricane Harbor. If you knew what wet and wild was, we're old. <laughs> I was in the Lazy River. This is going to change your life, Anna. I was in the Lazy River, just floating along. You know, that, it goes around the whole park, and the it, water pushes you. Just floating along, just minding my own 13-year-old business, and something wrapped around my ankle. And if you know about anything about the lazy river, that is not good. (laughs) And I jumped and I shook my leg and I saw this thing release off my leg. And I was like, oh, oh," and I grabbed it. I held it up. It was a $10 bill. (laughs) That was a pleasant surprise. No lie, though. The same day, I'm there with my friend Jake Nethery, honest to God. We're over at the Durstuka the Geronimo, and we're done with those scary rides, and we're going to go over to the, the wave pool. And so we thought, hey, let's jump in the Lazy River, because the Lazy River is how you get around. So we got in, and as we were getting in, I overheard two children over there. And one of them said, i got to go to the bathroom so bad. And the other said, quick, to the Lazy River. <laughs> and that's the day... That I learned the lazy river was not only a taxi service, but it was also a toilet. (laughs) And I took the taxi less often after that. (laughs) So, all right, let's look at the passage in Luke 7, 1 through 10. By the way, that was not a pleasant surprise because they come in all shapes and forms. Luke chapter 7, this is what I've been building up to. Verse 1 through 10, let me just read it to you. You guys, most of you already were thinking, I bet it's that Luke chapter. I bet it's the centurion, and it was. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with him. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes, I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned to the crowds following him and said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. I wanna quickly point out a few thoughts that caught my attention while studying this passage. Any one of them could have spiraled into a whole sermon themselves. That kind of boiled it down to a few things. So first, there really is a place called Capernaum. It's on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, and there really is a synagogue there dating back to the time of Jesus. I've seen it, many of you have seen it. The stones are of black basalt, and the Roman centurion paid to have it built. It was later built upon in the fifth century with white basalt brought in from a quarry uh, many miles away, but you can still see portions of the synagogue today that stood in Jesus' day. You just walk right up and there's a sign that said, this is the portion from Jesus' time and everything above it was built afterwards. In fact, in that, same, in that same little city, we're talking like the size of this sanctuary. You can find Peter's home and this spaceship hovering over top of it, which they call a Franciscan church. <coughs> And then there's some uh, there's some pillars and wine presses and olive presses. It's just full of artifacts and cool stuff to see. There's actually one stone that talks about the sons of Zebedee. It's just really it's a really it's a really great visit. When we go to Israel, Stephen, Marty, let's get that that trip planned. When we go to Israel, you're gonna love Capernaum. There really was such a place. Next, it was amazing that the centurion cared for the Jews at all. Just pulling things out of the passage, real quick. It was amazing that he even cared. But he didn't just care, he built them a synagogue and he earned their respect. I mean, you heard the Jews, they were like, Jesus, you gotta, he deserves to be healed. His servant deserves to be healed. You gotta, if anybody, this is the one, he deserves it. He earned their respect, he he loved the Jews and that was not common. That wasn't a common Roman tactic, (laughs) right? Another thing I wanna pull out. Speaking of the servant, it was amazing that the centurion even cared. We live in, that was a time where human life was just discarded. You can read, I mean, we, we have an abortion problem today. We just, we're gonna be praying for Embrace Grace. Read the time of the Romans. And it was worse, 10 times worse. It's terrible. in a day where life was just cast aside and yet this centurion cared for his servant, loved his servant. Didn't treat him like property, but he cared for him. Another thing, it was also amazing how humble he was. And he considered himself not even worthy to have Jesus come into his home. Partly because he understood the, uh, the, the ramifications. Uh, Jesus is a Jew, if he came in the home of a Gentile, he'd be unclean and he didn't wanna do that for Jesus. It just, 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 you don't even have to come, just say the word. In Augustine's fifth century writings, the great theologian wrote of the centurion, love this quote, enjoy it, I'll probably read it twice. By saying that he was unworthy, he showed himself worthy of Christ entering, not within his walls, but within his heart. By saying that he was unworthy, he showed himself worthy of Christ entering, not within his walls, but within his heart. Augustine also said, the Lord had found in the Oleister what he had not found in the olive. I have no idea what an Easter is. (laughs) And I had to look it up. Anybody know what an Easter is? Or Easter Or not even you, Marty? Wow. All right, I'm done here. (laughs) Let's sit down. (laughs) I didn't know what it was. So I looked it up. And the Alleaster is a shrub. And it bears fruit that looks a lot like an olive. And we know that the olive represents the chosen people, we know that the, the national tree of Israel is the olive tree, and, and so let me read that again. Talking about a Roman centurion, a Gentile. Jesus coming to speak to the Jews, and Augustine so poetically says, "'The Lord had found in the Oleaster easter "'what he had not found in the olive.'" Jesus didn't find the faith he was looking for in the olive, but he found it in this Roman Centurion, that's a such a great guy, such a such an amazing character. Augustine recognized what we already know today that Jesus had come for everybody: the Jews, the Gentiles, the rich, the poor, black, the white, brown, yellow. Jesus draws big circles, as Pastor Dan often says, and he, he includes, doesn't exclude. Later on, you see again with the great faith of the centurion or the Canaanite woman. Sorry. Uh, you, when you read about the Canaanite woman, she's the one that says, you know, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the master's table. You, you'll read in that passage, and, and she was healed. Jesus responded to faith like that, and he was surprised by it. And he's surprised by it today, still. Well, i think take it back, not surprised. Uh, maybe I just say he admires it today. He still responds to it today. So lastly, talking about this passage here. Jesus said that he had not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel, which would include the people and the religious leaders and even his disciples. I find it very interesting that the other account of this story is in Matthew, uh, chapter eight, verse five through 13 tell the story about the centurion, and then verse 14, the very next verse, talks about Jesus going to Peter's house and physically touching the hand of Peter's sick mother and healing her. It appears to me that Peter was still growing in his faith, and even the disciples who had been around him and seen so much did not yet have the faith of the centurion, and it surprised Jesus. He was like, even these jokers that I've been hanging out with for all this time don't even know. We're about to go to Miss Peter's house. This is crazy, I gotta actually put my hand on him. But the centurion was like, no, just say the word and it'll be done. Never noticed that before. All right, it's a remarkable passage. That was a real quick look at it, but we're not here till one today, so let's move on. So much more can be said, but the main takeaway is Jesus was taken aback by the faith of the centurion and I wonder what it would look like in our own lives. I've been wondering this this week. What would centurion-like faith look like in my own life? If I could muster up such a faith, what would it look like? We'll look at that in a little bit. <clears throat> so I told you earlier about pleasant and unpleasant surprises at Wet and Wild. I should probably tell you that also that, there, uh, that while this was a pleasant surprise for Jesus, there was actually one other time, there's two times in the scriptures that it says that Jesus was surprised. And unfortunately, the other one was not pleasant. It's found in Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 6, and it takes place in the city of Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. By the way, if you only remember four locations, like that around Jesus's life, just four locations, remember these four, because it'll help you keep things organized, because he's bouncing around all over the place, and we, we get lost, we're going in circles. Bethlehem, what happened in Bethlehem? He was born. Nazareth, it's a place he grew up, Capernaum, now Capernaum was interesting. I didn't really think of it this way, but Capernaum was like home base. When he was doing his ministry, his three years of ministry, they'd go off and they would come back. It was all around the Sea of Galilee and stuff. They'd go off. So Capernaum was home base. So whenever we're reading through the scriptures again and as we're going through the, the immersed Bible Messiah, watch him, especially when he's in his ministry phase. He, he goes off, he comes back, and Capernaum is home base. And then the last one you gotta remember is Jerusalem. That's where he did some more of his ministry, but also that's where he was put on trial crucified and buried all right so let's look at this mark 6 1 through 6 passage and this is page number 9 see you have endured to the end it's titled of course we know they add the the titles in later it's titled a prophet without honor it says jesus left there and went to his hometown which is Nazareth. nazareth yeah Went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogues, and many who heard him were again amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that this that that has been given to him? And he even does miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. That's interesting, they were amazed, they saw the same thing, and they took offense at him. Be careful with offense. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Talk to you about going to Capernaum. <clears throat> when I went to Nazareth, I only remember two things about Nazareth. And it's because of the people's lack of faith. Stuff didn't happen in Nazareth because the people lacked faith. I remember in Nazareth, Nazareth, there was a billboard paid for by some Islamic business people and they basically told us Christians to... Uh, Find another God, <laughs> I remember that billboard. <laughs> and I also remember this really cool church. It's a, a, a Mary Sepulcher or something, I can't remember the name. But basically in the church, they had all this artwork and they had asked people around the world, countries, to send artwork of Mary and Jesus. And so the American Jesus Mary picture looked very American. And the Zimbabwean one looked very Zimbabwean and the Belize one looked very Belize, and the Korean one looked very Korean. I thought it was just a lovely picture of how every, every community uh, kind of wraps their Jesus in some of their own looks and, and, and sounds, and it was, just, it was just beautiful. But it was kind of a testimony, of like, you know what, the Lord has come for, our, for us all. But that's all I remember about Nazareth, just those two things, the billboard and that church, because nothing happened there. I mean, yeah, a few people were healed, and, but nothing happened there in comparison to the other places because they lacked a faith. And Jesus was surprised by it in an unpleasant way. I like to be careful when I use words like cannot and could not and want and need when it comes to God. Pastor Des taught us that. He would inevitably correct us at some point. We would say something and he'd be like. I know that there are things that God cannot do that are against his nature, like sin and I know that there are things that Jesus wants, like obedience and closeness and redemption, but I feel, I get really nervous when I hear people say things like, God needs you to serve, God God needs you to tithe, God needs your gifts, God don't need you. God doesn't need anything from you. He wants, he wants, he loves, he desires, he he enjoys, but he doesn't need anything. If he needed anything, he would no longer be God. It's by the very definition, it's his very nature. He needs for nothing. So I say that just to acknowledge that words pack a punch and I try to use them appropriately whenever I can, though I stumble over them all the time. That's why I'm talking slow today. But especially when talking about God, gotta be careful. And yet this passage, Mark 6, 5, of the holy inspired word of God says, he, meaning Jesus, could not do any miracles there. Jesus could not do any miracles there. Why? Because of their lack of faith. And he was amazed by it. Just amazed by it, surprised by it. Just as the Roman centurion surprised him, his hometown folk surprised him as well. So, this morning, We've looked at a bunch of moments when Jesus was surprising people and two moments when Jesus was surprised by people. There was one pleasant expression of a man's faith and one not so pleasant uh, expression of lack of faith by an offended people. So I thought maybe today we could conclude after looking at all this and considering the surprising Jesus, I thought we could just conclude with three to five minutes just individual prayer. No prayer teams needed, love the prayer team, but the truth is, I'm on the prayer team. I need to be praying. <laughs> I need my three or five minutes too, just like you. Three or five minutes, individual prayer. Brent or the maestro, if they could maybe like play some keys, no words. Words distract me. If I'm worshiping and praising, that's great. They, they push me towards it, but if I'm trying to pray, words distract me. Is anybody else like that? It, all the guys, are, oh, a few girls too. I thought it was just a guy thing. Three to five minutes, and I want us to, in faith, bring our top three, maybe one, maybe five, whatever, top three list. The centurion brought to Jesus his servant. And I want us to remember that the faith that is required from us in 2022, because Jesus is not physically walking this earth right now. The faith that is required of us is the exact same kind of faith that Jesus admired so greatly in the centurion. What was a stretch for the centurion? What was, a, what was so surprising for the centurion to grasp that he doesn't have to be in my physical presence? That's the world we live in. Like we live post-resurrection, right? That's all we know is that Jesus is not in my, fi- oh, I know his Holy Spirit's here, we got that, yeah, I appreciate that very much. But like, that's the, we live in the world of the centurion. And sometimes we think of it like, oh man, if only Jesus were here. No, 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 we live in the world of the type of faith that Jesus admired and was surprised by and said, man, I can't wait till my disciples catch up. I can't wait till the people catch up. And they realize that they don't, I don't need to be in their house. I don't, I don't, they don't, I don't have to touch their hand they don't have to reach out and grab the hem of my garment they just got to have a faith to reach and to believe as the centurion did and i'll answer and so this morning i want us to take our list one two three five whatever your list is and we're going to spend a few minutes and then pastor brent you can just wrap us up Uh, that's not pastor brent you're doing well thank you (laughs) i thought that was brent and then, Pastor, and then Pastor Brent, you can wrap us up wherever you went. I quoted Augustine twice earlier because I agree with him, but he would not have agreed with everything that I said today. In fact, he thought in his commentary, I love Augustine, and we all got our opinions, and he's wrong on this one, and I'm right. <clears throat> but he thought in his commentary that Jesus only acted surprised to emphasize what he valued, this faith of the centurion. I disagree. For the reasons I said earlier, we'll both get into heaven as long as we handle Jesus right. I disagree. I think Jesus was genuinely surprised in the very moment. But Augustine said he was just acting surprised so that we would know and value the same type of faith that Jesus noticed and valued. So, get your list two, three, four, five things. Maybe it's for healing, maybe it's for a loved one. We prayed earlier for for lost loved ones. Maybe it's for provision, whatever your list is. The things that really, really are at the top of your list right now. And let's spend three, five minutes and with the same type of faith that the centurion expressed, let's take our list to the Lord with an expectation that he loves you and he desires this moment and he wants to move on our behalf. And let's just believe that because we serve a surprising Jesus, that we might even this very day and this very week be surprised that once again, the Lord showed up.